0: Section 13 of The Mystery of the Ocean Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mystery of the Ocean Star by W. Clark Russell. Section 13 Lifeboats in Their Cruise. Not very long ago there was printed a letter that probably very few landsmen read without pain and wonder. The writer, referring to a heavy gale of wind that had recently swept the British coasts, said that on the evening of the storm a large number of vessels dragged or parted from their anchors in the Yarmouth roads and were stranded within speaking distance of the town of Lufstead in that though there are four lifeboats belonging to this district, as well as a couple of powerful tugs owned by the Great Eastern Railway Company, no effort for a long while was made to save the unhappy drowning seamen who were burning lights and imploring help on the most piteous terms. At last, the writer says, it came to flesh and blood, being able to stand the horrible scene no longer, With great difficulty, a few determined men managed to collect a crew. One of the lifeboats was launched, and seventeen men saved, but not before the sea had done its work in many instances, and valuable lives had met a fate which could easily have been averted had proper lifeboat help been afforded in time. It does not need much imagination to picture the scene, though to do full justice to it one should know those waters, and have stood, during a heavy gale of wind, on any point of the shore, betwixt Lofted and East Caster, and looked forth upon the ocean, roaring and hissed upon the numerous deadly sands, which stretched from the south and west of Wakefield Gatway to Scroby Sand and the Winterton Overfalls. No more dreadful sight could be imagined than all those small coasting craft stranded, many of them within musket shot of the piers in esplanades, their hulls barely visible in the evening shadow among the white smoke of the bursting surges. The gale, bringing up the rending and tearing noises of splintering wood, mingled with the shrieks of drowning men whilst close to them, within a stone's throw, as one might say, was the safety of the shore, the lights of rows of gay shops, and multitudes watching in security the fearful picture of riven ships and flashing thunderous surf. Why were the lifeboats not manned? What had become, on a sudden, of those noble sailory instincts? which have made the lifeboat corps the grandest service in its way the world has ever seen, a theatre of such exalted heroism and touching unselfishness as nothing in the annals of the sea can surpass. It seemed an incredible thing that dozens of vessels should be going to pieces of such a town as Lofted, filled as it is with plucky and seasoned fishermen and boatmen within sight or reach of four lifeboats and dense crowds of spectators, and never an effort made for hours to save the poor fellows who were filling the gale with their heart-rending cries for help. There must be some reason for such conduct, some cause having no reference to the danger of the errand, and therefore perhaps remedial. It might be difficult, I felt, to get at the truth by going to Lufsted and making inquiries, but some light, I thought, would be thrown on the subject by conversation with men experienced in lifeboat work, men who had rescued shipwrecked people under all conditions of peril and suffering and weather. And so, a day or two after I had read the letter about the losted boats, I found myself in the company with one of the best-known of our English coxswains and four boatmen, all of whom had been out on errands of mercy "'so often that they assured me the jobs were past counting, "'and that they couldn't tell me how many times "'if I was to give them twenty pounds a man. "'I had seen enough of their work at different times "'and at various places to gauge to the very heart of it all "'the meaning of their hard, salt, sea-beaten faces. "'There is a no more thrilling memory "'than that of the black night "'roaring with the sweeping thunder of the gale,' The rocket faintly glimmering an instant in the black hollow over the pallid ocean, the heightened volume of whose liquid acclivities are made appreciable to the ear by the deep-toned sounds that come rolling out of the lashed surface, the tremendous flicker of a flare two leagues distant, denoting the spot of the shipwreck, the rush of brave hearts into the lifeboat, and her speedy avanishment in the howling gloom as she speeds away, A very messenger from heaven on her lonely, glorious, devoted voyage. Now, boys, said I, I want you to talk out to me. Don't be nervous. No names will appear in print. Hear this first. And I read to them the letter that was published in the newspapers. A profound silence followed my delivery. The coxswain took a long pull of his tankard and looked at the others. Why didn't the lofted men go off to those vessels? I asked. "'Do you think they were afraid?' "'No, I won't say that,' replied the coxswain. "'I know, said. "'I know the class of men they've got there. "'I won't say they was afraid. "'God forbid. "'Eh, huh, Bill?' "'Bill shook his head. "'What then was the reason?' "'I should say,' replied the coxswain thoughtfully, "'that the men, when concerned in some previous job, "'hadn't been rewarded up to their expectations. "'I'll allow there was dissatisfaction.' "'Dissatisfaction will account for a good deal,' said another man whom I will call Joe. "'What is the pay?' I asked. Ten shillings a day for service in daylight,' replied the coxswain, "'and a pound for a night work. "'Is that regular pay?' "'The regular pay. "'Would you get the same money for going out on a fine warm night "'as in a freezing gale of wind in January?' "'Just the same.' The institution has the power of increasing the reward by doubling it, but the service must be a very meritorious one for to bring men two pound apiece for the night work. And if he bar a medal or a piece of wellum and the likes of that now and again, it's seldom that more than two pounds for the most meritorious job is given for night work or a pound for day work by the institution. Sometimes the public subscribes, but very seldom, very seldom. ''And you think then,'' said I, ''that the lofted men refused to go out because they considered the reward of a pound not sufficiently large to induce them to imperil their lives?'' ''I don't say that,'' replied the coxswain. "Ye asked for a reason, and I give a likely one, but I am not going to say it's right. But put yourself in the position of one of us men, sir. You're turned in at home, all snug and comfortable. Suddenly you're awakened by a thundering rap on the door.'' and someone sings out that there is a ship ashore or in danger. You bundle on your breeches and do the rest of your dressing as you run along. It's blowing a whole gale, the cold fit to cut your head off, a raging sea in front of you. You've got a wife and children at home, and they're dependent on you. Would it be fair to call you a coward if you should stand a bit and think that though to be sure you might earn two pounds... The chances are you'd only get one, that is, if you come back alive, and that before you can earn that pound, you've got to take your chance of being froze to death or being washed overboard and drowned. A man's life's dear to him. And it's all very fine for gents to turn to and write to the newspapers, but if the individual as wrote that letter found the site too much for flesh and blood, why didn't he volunteer to make one to go off to the coasters?' no doubt that there has been a great deal of nonsense written about the lifeboat cause said i the sentiment should be kept up but not at the expense of truth and common sense if you save lives do you get extra pay no responded one of the men who had not yet spoken that's the worst managed part of it i consider you may go out and bring in half a dozen men but unless the honorary secretary chooses to call the service a meritorious one you'll only get a ten shillings or a pound, according to whether it is day or night, just the same as if you'd saved no lives. So, in reality, you received no more for actually saving life than for going out with the desire to save it? Not as a rule, was the reply. As you've heard, the institution sometimes doubles the ordinary pay, but only in cases where five hundred pound a man... "'Wouldn't be thought too much by anyone who knew what sufferings the life boatmen had gone through. "'Do you make anything by salvage?' "'Now and again, sir, there's more to be earned by saving goods than lives. Take a case.' "'There were two vessels in distress, a brig and a schooner. "'The men refused to launch their boat. "'The weather was too much even for them, the finest boatmen in the world. "'They looked at the sea and shook their heads. "'They had wives and children to feed.' and a pound was not enough to induce them to face the water. A boat belonging to a neighboring station was launched and succeeded in getting the men out of the schooner's rigging and bringing them ashore. They then went to the brig and brought her into port. For saving the crew, the men got two pounds a man. For saving the brig, seven pounds a man. "'You think, then,' said I, "'that the lifeboat crews are not sufficiently well paid for the work they do?' "'I'm afraid,' said the coxswain. If the truth be told, that the feeling among the large number of the men who man the boats, whenever there's anything hanging back, I'll allow it'll be found that the men don't see their way to risk drowning for the allowance the institution makes. No man would like to own this, but the feeling is that lifeboat works a duty that ought to have nothing to do with payments, but they can't help the human nature, sir. They can't help coming to a stand sometimes and hesitating afore volunteering to make widows of their wives and orphans of their children, and trying to save people who may be drowned before are reach, or who are eight to ten miles off, and can't be seen and sympathized with, if you can understand one, sir. Likewise, they feel that they're the sarvice, and that without them there'd be no institution, and no tidy annual incomes for them as never go out in the boats." "'And if they was to get out on the boats,' said Joe, "'you'd not find him writing letters to the newspaper "'saying that the losted men ought to be punished "'for refusing to do their duty.' "'Duty? That's not the word. "'Why should it be one man's duty to save life more than another's? "'Why should error of one of the losted crowd, "'as watched the coasters, think it the duty of the boatmen "'more than his own duty to risk their life in that sea? "'Volunteerings the word.' And there's nothing more ridiculous and aggravating than to hear people calling out for punishment on men who refused, once in their whole lives maybe, to do what the people who are singing out would ne'er dream of venturing for a thousand pounds a man. You can't imagine what it's like to sit a night in a lifeboat in a heavy sea, blowing a gale of wind full of frost. Think of a dozen men in a boat 40 feet long, 10 feet of which is took off by your end boxes, the sea rushing over them, wet through to the skin, unable to move, sitting in freezing water for eight or ten hours at a stretch. Don't talk of punishing a man for thinking of his home and shaking his head when he looks out into the blackness. We belong to the working classes. We've got to get a living. We value our lives like other folks. We're rarely backwards in trying to save men when calls made." But don't let shore-going people write too much about our noble characters and our glorious errands. We are boatmen. We are to be tempted to do good like others who reckon themselves our betters. And I say that if ever there is any hanging back, it's because the feeling is that not enough of the money that's given by the public finds its way into the pockets of the men who do all the work. This did not end our conversation. For in an answer to my question whether those whom the lifeboat crew saved ever paid or rewarded the men in any way for their splendid devotion and courage, they gave me several instances of extraordinary ingratitude, one amongst them being the owner of a yacht of sixty tons that drifted ashore. The lifeboat went out, took off the yacht's people, nine persons in all, and next morning not a vestige was to be seen of the vessel. For this service the boatman received from the man was rich enough to keep a sixty-ton yacht, a check for ten pounds, being somewhat less than ten shillings a man, counting the crew of a tug among the participators. He knew what his life was worth, said the coxswain sarcastically, and paid accordingly. But though our conversation did not then end, all had been said that I find it necessary to repeat. I could not doubt, from what these boatmen stated, that their dissatisfaction with the rewards given them for the perilous undertakings is more prevalent among the crews around our coast than is suspected, possibly by even the lifeboat institution itself. The money subscribed by the public is meant for the men who man the boats, who brave the bitter gales, and who have been instrumental in saving seven-eighths of the hundreds of human beings who, according to the institution's reports, are rescued every year. If I send five pounds to this charity, I am quite content that two pounds of it should go to the maintenance of the boats. But I am not satisfied if I hear that only one pound has gone to the poor fellows who have been risking their lives all night, and the rest to the officials who, if you cannot expect them to be philanthropic for nothing— might at least be satisfied with an income equal to ten times the pay of a coxswain. I have written about the lifeboats before. I know the work, the hardships, the deadly perils of the service, and I say it will not do for us landsmen toasting ourselves before large fires with a good roof over our heads to sit in judgment upon men who hesitate to launch themselves into the white and furious sea for the sum of ten shillings or a pound. The pay ought to be increased, but I should not advocate large rewards if I did not know that they could be made. End of section 13. Recording by Debmeister.